Hey everybody, welcome to church. I'm so glad you were not at the 10 o'clock service because it was uh, dangerous in here at 10 o'clock. Uh, it felt like um, people just, they just kept coming. Um, it, was, it was alarming. So thank you so much for being here at 11.45. We know this is probably not super, super convenient for everyone, so thanks for doing it anyway. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 10. While you're doing that, I want to remind everyone that on Tuesday night, we're gathering for a church-wide family meeting. Uh, if you call Trinity home, membership or otherwise, we just want to invite you to come. We're going to be uh, first time actually in a couple of years that our um, membership plus others have gathered together. And so if you're a member for sure, but even if not, if this is your home and you want to come and gather, we, we haven't been together in this way outside of church in a couple of years. And we're really looking forward to doing that. We're also going to honor and bless and just love on Ashley, hear from Ashley about what's going to be happening next for her as she steps into what God has in the next few weeks as she moves back to Arkansas and takes the leadership of another church in our diocese. So we'd love to have you come. We're also just going to do some catching up and holding the moment that we're in as a church community, and we would love to have you gather. We're going to have desserts and drinks. Uh, it's an Easter gathering, so my hope is that we'll, we'll have a good time together as we even kind of hold the complexity of the moment that we all find ourselves in as a church where we're going through so much change and transition. So Tuesday night is probably in that magical flyer that Brad was talking about. Uh, and if not, you can find information on our website, but you can just show up. Verse 34 of Acts 10. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread through Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we pray today on this Easter day, uh, this Sunday of all Sundays, we just ask for your grace, Lord. We pray that you would help us to uh, think true and deep thoughts, not just about Jesus, but about you, Jesus, and what you have to say to us today, how you're meant to help us live our lives. We ask for your grace. We thank you for Easter. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you were anything like me, you grew up maybe going to church on Easter Sunday. Um, it was one day we got super dressed up. And just for the record, I am super dressed up today. <laughs> and then it was over. It was like you did church and then church was over and you were like, well, that's it. I guess that was, that was Easter. One of the things that I love about being an Anglican, about being in the great tradition, is what Brad just said a few minutes ago. We have 50 days to wrap our hearts and our heads around the power of the resurrection. Um, we can't do all of that in one day, and we won't get it done today, but we will spend the next 50 days looking at what the resurrection means, what it actually was and is, and what it means 
for you and for me, we are entering into a season that is greater than Lent in every respect. Lent is this period of preparation, 40 days of wilderness wandering leading to Easter. Easter is 50 days where Lent is 40. During Lent, we, we fast. During Easter, we feast. Two different animals had to die for our meal that's going to happen this afternoon in my house. I've smoked ribs and I've cooked, uh, going to be cooking steak when I get home. We're going to feast. We're going to eat and drink and celebrate new life. We welcome you into this space because I believe over the next couple of months, we're going to be really looking at who Jesus is. But before we get into the 50 days, today we're just going to stop and we're going to listen to this sermon from St. Peter, this very concise few verses that I just read. And we're going to look at what he's trying to tell us. He is trying to tell us about Jesus. There are three huge kind of movements in these short verses. One is Jesus's ministry. The second is this idea of resurrection. And the third one is this idea of our response to it. And so we're just going to walk through these three things. First, Jesus's ministry. As we look at what Peter said, and I just want to say this, I don't think we can emphasize this enough. I moved this back because I want to be right here in front of the, of the lectern. So if I distracted you while I was praying by moving the lectern, I did it because I want to be here because I'm pumped about this. Peter could have said anything. Peter walked with Jesus. He hung out with Jesus for years. He had his moment in this sermon. He could have said anything that he wanted to say about Jesus. He could have said teacher of wisdom. He could have said walker on water. He could have said super great friend. He could have said anything about Jesus. He chose to say a few really important things. He spent his words really wisely. He said he preached peace. He was full of power in the Holy Spirit. And he came to do good and bring healing. And I want to say to you, that was not just true 2,000 years ago. That is true today. If you want to know what Jesus has come to do for you, what Easter means, what the ministry of Jesus means, not just as a historical artifact. And y'all, one of the invitations of Easter is to break out of this kind of trap that we fall in where we think of Jesus as a set of ideas or ideals. We just think of him as like a dispenser of wisdom. And we think, oh, it was good that he said those things and did those things. I don't really know how that matters. Well, here's what I want to say to you today. Jesus has come to bring peace to you. Martin Luther King Jr. said, True peace is not the absence of tension, it's the presence of justice. I would go further than that and say that true peace is about God being with us as we walk through the reality of life. Peace is not a vacation. Peace is not an escape from reality. A lot of times we, we need those things occasionally just to step back and, you know, have a pina colada or do whatever. That's not the peace that Jesus came to bring. What Jesus came to say we touched on last week at Trinity. He came to say, when you go into dark places, don't go there by yourself. Go there knowing that God is with you. Jesus came to preach peace. The peace that he came to preach was, I am with you even as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So today, if you are walking in a dark place, maybe you come into a room like this, just worn out, cynical, tired, maybe deconstructing some or doubting some. I just want to say to you, the peace that Jesus came to bring is to give us an awareness that we are not alone, even in the places that feel really hard and difficult, unclear. Jesus came to preach peace. Peace means God is here. Connected to that, we are told that he was full of power and full of the Holy Spirit. Again, Jesus is not just like a talking head preacher. He was full of the power of God. 
He was animated by the work and the life of the Holy Spirit. So not only did he come to bring peace, he came to remind us that that which is true for him, as Matt read at the end of our music, that Jesus went first and we follow him. That the same power that was in Jesus, that is in Jesus now, is made available to everyone who would believe him. Y'all, there is power available to us to live our lives before God with the life of God. The Holy Spirit, there's a word for him in the New Testament, paraclete. Not parakeet like the bird, but paraclete. Paraclete means one who walks beside. The Holy Spirit has come to walk beside you. Some of us have grown up in Christian traditions or understanding something about spirituality where God runs so far out in front of you that you can't keep up with him. He's this perfect standard that you can never live up to. Others of you maybe grew up with a more fundamentalist understanding where God is behind you with a cattle prod, like a taskmaster driving you forward. One of the gifts of Jesus being full of the Holy Spirit and asking and inviting his followers to also be full of the Spirit is that God walks beside us as a traveling companion as we go through life. One of the ways that we get to live into the peace that Jesus has offered is to recognize that the same Holy Spirit that he was full of, you also are invited to walk in fellowship and friendship with. Paraclete, one who walks beside. And maybe the thing I love the most is that we're told Jesus came to do good and bring healing. Where do you need Jesus to do good in your life? Where do we need his healing? See, that wasn't true just 2,000 years ago. That's true today. God wants you to be the kind of person that begins to go, where do I need you to do good for me? Where do I need you to bring healing in me? I have learned and am learning over the last 10 months to be more and more specific about the places where I'm asking Jesus to do good and bring healing in my life. I'm less vague and general than I used to be. I'm more particular. I'm like, I need you to do some good for me in this place. God, I need you to bring some healing to me. I just want to say this to you. Jesus has come to do good and to bring healing in your life right now, not just 2,000 years ago. Now. Where do you need that? I would exhort you to be as bold and specific as you can about that. What do you need from God? So that's what he came to do. We're also told in this short little sermon by Peter that Jesus was killed and resurrected and that his friends ate and drank with him after his resurrection. So the second little mini sermon here that Peter preaches is about resurrection. And we need to get our thinking right about resurrection. I actually believe that within the Christian community, and those of you who maybe are just sort of on the edge of or outside the church, but you come in every once in a while, our thinking about resurrection actually gets really fuzzy and totally unhelpful. So Christmas is an opportunity, or Easter rather, is an opportunity for us to sit with resurrection. Y'all, resurrection is physical. Jews at the time of Jesus had a very specific understanding of what resurrection meant. Now, a lot of us have grown up with Star Wars. And we think of Jesus like we think of Obi-Wan Kenobi, a kind of flickering hologram that pops up every now and then to give some sage wisdom, you know. Um, Luke's going through some stuff. There's, there's Jesus. He's just sort of like a one-dimensional flickering wisdom. That is not resurrection. Jesus is not an idea. He is not a memory. He is not a historical embodiment of ideals. 
Jews understood that for resurrection to have happened, someone had to be physically alive and then super dead, not mostly dead. There's a reason why Jews didn't consider someone really dead until after three days because they, they didn't understand that like sometimes you put people in tombs and they kind of get better because it's cool in there and you know, it's just hot and hard and you revive and then you're like knocking on the door. So they were like, the spirit hovers around the body for three days. But after three days, you're like super dead. If you're not knocking on the door, it's, it's done deal. And then you become physically alive again. You don't become like, Grandma's with us, you know, we love her. She's sort of with us right now. You become like physically there, you have a meal with somebody. So Jews understood that resurrection, if it weren't physical, it didn't happen. Physically alive, super dead, physically alive again. That's resurrection. Jesus went first, like Matt read, and we get to follow him. One of the powerful things, the way that we can experience what Jesus came to do, those three things that I just said, is to begin to wrap our hearts around why resurrection matters. Resurrection means there is life on the other side of death. And what that teaches us is that Jesus did not confront death and then back up and then kind of like find a workaround. He went right through it and he destroyed it. He did something that no one else could do. He went through death and defeated it and made a doorway for those who would follow him. And because of that, because resurrection is physical, and y'all track with me, especially those of you here who are Christian, when you pray today, you are not praying to an idea or a memory. You are not praying to a ghost. You are praying to a fully embodied Jesus who is seated at the right hand of the Father. If you could stumble through the wardrobe, like C.S. Lewis said, find yourself in Narnia in God's country, you would be with a fully embodied Jesus. You could touch him. You could hug him. You could high five him. So when we pray, we're praying to a Jesus who we will one day be embraced by now. He is physically embodied in God's country. And God's country is not as far off as we might imagine. Resurrection, because of that, is an invitation that makes it possible to be brave in the here and now. One of the reasons why Easter is so important is that we get an invitation to say, I don't have to hide from hard things. I don't have to run away from confusing things. I don't have to pretend that I'm not in a place where I'm facing death or loss. We get to move into the darkness knowing that there is life on the other side. Y'all, Jesus has made a way for us. That's what Christians believe. It's what we've always believed. But if we sentimentalize the resurrection, if we make the resurrection something kind of weirdly otherly worldly, we miss the power of how it's meant to inform and impact the way that we live our lives on a Tuesday afternoon or a Friday night. Jesus has made a way. So where do you need the courage to be brave? What are you facing right now that's maybe confusing or fear-inducing? Maybe it's something in your health or a relationship or a, a doubt or deconstruction. Maybe there's something painful happening at work. 
I would argue that the resurrection is there to make you brave. It doesn't solve our problems. It means we can face our problems with the confidence that life lives on the other side. How would you live if you believed in your bones that life lived on the other side of whatever it was you were facing? That's what resurrection teaches us. It's physical. It's life after death, through death, and it is an invitation for us to be brave. So what do we do with this? Because all that's great. But what does it mean for us? I believe it means two things. This text, Peter, again, he could have said a lot of stuff, but he ended up landing right here. Resurrection, our response, means that we get to affirm that Jesus is judge over all. And I would add to that the word Lord and judge. And a lot of us get uncomfortable. We think, oh, judge, 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 that's, that's not good. But it is good. Because of the next thing, forgiveness. We've taken that word forgiveness and we've, we've also made it a sentimental term. It's one of the reasons why we struggle with forgiveness because we think that forgiveness means we're, we're being invited to say that whatever happened to you was not that big of a deal. And a lot of times when we've been wronged and somebody owes us something, we don't want to forgive because we think that forgiveness is just letting someone off the hook and saying it wasn't so bad after all. Y'all, forgiveness is the opposite. The reason why Peter uses legal language, judge overall, is that only a judge can release someone from a debt that they owe. Forgiveness is a legal term, more than an emotional term. Now, it carries emotional power with it, but forgiveness is you owe something you cannot pay. I will cancel a debt that you could never pay. Because Jesus came and was resurrected because he went into the darkest of all the darkness that plagues you and me and defeated it and made a way for us, we have access to forgiveness because he is the judge overall. The way that I affirm him being judge and Lord is to live my life in surrender and submission to him, is to place myself under his leadership rather than thinking I'm an autonomous floating free agent. When I put myself under God, I'm able actually to experience his leadership and the freedom that he alone can give me. Do you know what else it does? It opens me up to living my life without shame. And I don't have to be a prophet or your therapist to know that many of us walk into a room today with shame, with guilt and failure that we can't resolve. Maybe it's connected to a failure in the relationship with a person who's sitting next to you. Maybe it's at work. I mean, I had a, basically like a, a breakdown in front of 2,000 people when I left for four months. I mean, you want to talk about an invitation to opening yourself up to like fragility. I've been living this on a very personal level, but here's the gift, y'all. There are times where you will hit the wall in life and maybe you're there now and nothing you can say is going to fix that thing. What Jesus does is he looks at us and our vulnerability and he says, I will give you a sense of freedom that you could never, ever, ever earn. What would your life look like if you were free? But what we do is we try to claw our way to good standing. We try to fix it. One of my favorite movies, um, which will date me in terms of my age, but that's fine. Having 
three adult children also dates me in terms of my age. Um, I was a child bride, so. Um, so. <laughs> the mission with Robert De Niro and Jeremy Irons. And in that movie, Robert De Niro was a slave trader and he began to feel convicted about his trade. It was a, a horrible life that he lived. He subjugated through violence and oppression. He went and stole indigenous people and sold them into slavery. And he became convicted that it was wrong. And he decided he was going to make amends. He was going to fix it. Um, he was going to show God and people how serious he was. And so he tied the, the, the tools of his slave trade in a giant net attached to a rope and he endeavored to climb up above the waterfalls where the people were that he had subjugated as a sign of penance. And the scene where he is climbing is so painful and brutal because he makes progress and then he loses progress and then he makes progress and he loses and he's just sliding down this hill that he's trying to climb with the weight of his sin and his shame behind him. And he gets to this one place and he's totally exhausted and he cannot make it any further. And one of the peoples in the tribe that he had plundered for years comes out with a knife and rather than using the knife on him, he cuts the rope and the weight just goes tumbling down to the bottom of the mountain. We carry things that we can never get to the top of the hill. And it crushes us and some of us are carrying that weight right now. And you know in your bones you'll never be able to make whatever it is totally right. You'll never be able to feel like you want to feel. What Jesus has come to do is to do for you what you could never ever do on your own and what the person sitting next to you can never ultimately do for you, which is to look you in the face and say, I see you, I know you, and I love you, and I will release you. And then we get to stand up as children of God and admit our faults and own our brokenness and say, but I belong to him. He wants you and me to be free. You are an Easter person. You were made for this. You were made to be free. So why don't we step into that freedom now as a taste of what is coming for us? That's what Easter is all about. And y'all, that ain't sentimental. That's real. Because it means owning our stuff. It means seeing what he came to do and letting him do it. If you're able, let's stand together.